Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Everyone, this is Mark Trichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. I'm back here today with Jeff Bassino, who's been on a couple times already. And Jeff and I had an email conversation last week when we saw that President Biden had made a, an intent to nominate a lady named with the last name of Atsuka. Here it is, Tanya Atsuka. I I may be pronouncing that. I may be pronouncing it wrong, Jeff. Wrong, Jeff. But how how you been doing? I'm in great. I'm in great. How are you been, Mark? I can't complain. I saw a recent LinkedIn post where you made reference to going to a concert. And I've always wanted to add this little thing to my podcast where I say, what was your last conference? What was your first con? Excuse me, what was your last concert? What was your first concert? And what was your best concert? And I did not prepare you for this. So I throwed you off. No, I'm glad you said it. And I will tell this to all your listeners. They should follow you on LinkedIn because that's where I picked it up. And you, you talk about just buy the tickets. Just buy the tickets. Yep. And it was a great piece of advice. And it's funny, my wife and I were actually running a conference in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and my wife and I were driving there. And we happened to hear that a song by the Psychedelic Furs and the DJ came on and said, they just played in DC. And I was like, oh, dang, I'd like to see them. They were playing with Squeeze, which is one of my favorite bands. And so we decided we were going to go to that concert when I came back from the conference. While we were at the conference, my wife said something about Peter Gabriel touring. And I said, oh, I'd like to see Peter Gabriel. And turned out he was in D.C. on that same night at Psychedelic Furs and Squeeze were in Richmond. D.C. is a little closer drive, and I don't think Peter Gabriel tours as much, so he won out. But to answer your question, last concert, obviously, Peter Gabriel. First concert, Cheap Trick, who are friends okay. of mine from my hometown of Rockford, Illinois. They're buddies of mine. And, and favorite concert... I, I, to be honest with you, I would have to say it was Little Feet. Wow. Two years ago on my birthday, and obviously yeah. with Lowell George, their legendary singer, but they were at some, my wife found it, they were at some like fairgrounds and like close to Lil Ray, and they must have played for two hours, and they played all the hits. They extended them from long versions, like took up the night, but, but that was a fun concert because it was nice seeing somebody that not a lot of people know about. And they still seem to enjoy doing what they're doing. That's great. That's great. And I haven't told this story on here yet. I'm going to check. If I do this again, I'll change what my favorite was because it always changes in my mind. But technically, my first concert was Sonny and Cher at the Minnesota State Fair with my parents. Now, now, however, but the first one I ever went to by myself or with a friend was Cheap Trick right after Alive with Budokan came out. So when you said that, that's what, that's why I went no way. But, and the warm-up band was the romantics, what I like about you. So that was the warm-up for that tour. The last concert I went to was, was Duran with the warm-up band of Chic with Niles Rogers, Niles Rogers. And, and that was fantastic. That was the post you saw on LinkedIn. Today, I would say my best concert was also two years ago. I saw Genesis in Boston, the last time they played in the U.S. forever, because Phil Collins is not in the in in much good. 
and good a shape. It was the last Domino tour. Big Genesis fan, big Peter Gabriel fan, seen him before. I didn't catch him this go around, but so I, if, if people well, haven't stopped still listening, listening, yeah, if people haven't stopped listening because they think that we're um, too connected to the 80s. And by the way, Psychedelic First saw them once. You got to go see them. They're a lot of fun. Singer's really cool, dances around a lot. All right, with that, Jeff. So I, I, I teed it up. We do have an intent to nominate to the NCAA board. Yes. And of course, you can go into who that's replacing and what that all means. And, and so having been a board member before, you were at NCUA as a board member when I was a deputy executive director. That's how we got to know each other and appreciated that time together. Learned a lot from you. And with that, I know you know a lot about this process, a lot more than a lot of people. What's your take on where we're at and where we're going with this? You are right. It is an intent to nominate. And I would say, though, that is a, a semantics issue. Now, there's, something could change between now and then, although looking at Tanya's background, I just, I can't see anything happening. In other words, she's coming from the Senate Banking Committee, which means she's most obviously got the backing of, of Senator Sherrod Brown, the chairman. I just, I don't see anything stepping away, but you are right. The, the, the wording is an intent to nominate before they send it up. And to be honest with you, I think they sometimes do this as a bit of a trial balloon. You say, I intend to nominate. If people climb out of the woodwork saying, my God, you can't do this. The worst idea ever. And oh my gosh, this person did this and this. You've got a little bit of a fallback. You don't have to recall the name. Once the name's been submitted, then it goes into the Senate's hands. So it is an intent to nominate. I assume it'll go through. And the timetable for this now will be interesting because you're obviously looking at the end of the calendar year in terms of legislative days. And our good friend, John McKechnie would be able to tell me exactly how many legislative days we have left until adjournment, but I don't know what that is, but there's not a lot. And frankly, there's a lot of things on their plate. We're doing this on the Thursday before the government shuts down on Saturday. And so there's a couple of things that they need to work on before they would do nominations at any point. So keeping the government open is a little bit more important than an intent. For those of us pretty new people, I know it's a shock. I know we really find that amazing. And that's the short-sightedness of government. But yes, keeping the government open is going to be a little more, a little more important. As well as the other thing, you guys, you've got still ongoing war in the Ukraine. You've got inflation. You've got elections. You've got a posed impeachment. It, it, the stuff going on in the Hill, nominations tends to drop down. Now, the interesting thing about nominations is if they choose to do it, they can do a bulk at one time. Now, I don't think this will ever fall into the same category as what Senator Tuberville from Alabama is standing in the way of. But... It is also true that one member can muck up the whole works. I don't, again, don't see that happening. And I think there is also a bit of a professional courtesy on the part of senators toward each other. And I think no matter what your party is, if someone in that body works to nominate someone that's one of their own, they, I'm not going to say they look the other way, but I think they give it a little more leeway than they do for other nominations. So. I have a funny feeling I made a prediction to someone the other day that this could be done before Halloween. It would be an ambitious timetable. Don't forget, the nominee came from the Senate Banking Committee. The Senate Banking Committee is the one who will advance the nomination. So sure, sure. And she works for Sherrod Brown? Or theoretically, she works for the committee and, and Chairman Brown, you know, Senator Brown's the chairman. Again, these things always get a little murky, but I would say, yes, she works for Senator Brown. That's pretty good street cred. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, if you look at, if you look at her resume, she's eminently qualified. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and again, that for critting people is always something that I think is of concern. In the past, and I'm talking about way long ago, sometimes NCUA would, I would contend was like a dumping ground for people that didn't get other appointments. It hasn't been that way in the last, I'd say 20 or 30 years, but we've had people who didn't get other appointments. So they said, do you want this? And again, that's disheartening for as an industry, because you're saying, look, we'd like people who want to be here. I remember when I was first discussing the job with the White House, and then they called and said they had decided to go with Yolanda Wheat. Their next question was, because they knew I had pretty good political backing, was, is there anything else you want? And I remember saying to them, look, I don't just want a job in the administration. For some people, they do. And, and that's perfectly fine. For me, I felt NCUA because of my background was where I would do them the best and, and where I could have the most value. And so I just nicely said, look, that's what I'd like to be. And they were nice enough two years later to call when Norm Moore's term was up. But again, having said that, her qualifications are, are top notch. Again, the unfortunate thing is sometimes timing plays a role in it. Now, obviously, she will replace board member Rodney Hood, whose term expired in August. And credit unions, obviously, the most interesting thing about it is that for the first time since he was sworn in as chairman in February of 2021, Chairman Harper will now have a second Democrat vote. He's operated since February 2021, which, you know, one to two minority. Right. With two Republicans. And that might be one of the reasons that there was this intent to nominate. There's not a lot of agencies. And in fact, NCUA might be the only one where there isn't technically democratic control with the democratic president. Yes. And, and again, as, as uh, President Obama said, elections have consequences. When you like that consequence, if you're the winning party to be able to control the agencies, again, the reality is Democrats haven't controlled NCUA for a long time. Sure. Now you've got a Democratic president. You also have an election next year. So all these things factor in. Obviously, for Democrats, they're going to want to try to get her on the board. She comes with a six-year term. doesn't matter who wins next year or who loses. She's staying. And Chairman Harper's got four years left on his term. And so you basically, if the Democrats can push this nomination through, would almost ensure that they would have control of this agency through the next presidential cycle, no matter who wins. Yeah, just yeah, just like we're with the Democratic president now, it's in control of the Republicans. That's going to flip on, on its head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes. I hadn't thought of, I hadn't thought about that. That's a that's an interesting actual point to to put out there. And so when is uh, Board Member Hauptman's up? So that, if, if Todd's in four years. He's got Hoffman two years. Must be two. He's got two years. So he would be two 2025. He'd be 2025. Todd Harper's term is then 2027. And this one would be 2029. So you know what staff says about the first and first and last year of the board members, right? That's when you got to be careful because their first year, they're still learning and they come in with preconceived notions of staff. And the yep. last year, they're trying to figure out where they're going next. And so... They don't act as consistently as they do in those middle four years. Those middle four years, 
are are theoretically the best for staff. Just FYI, I can, I can tell you from a board member standpoint, with that last <laughs> from staff standpoint, and that is, we're not always sure you guys are listening to us because we're on our way out. Um, but yeah, it is, and 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 see, that's something that I don't think a lot of people take into account. We like to put these things into silos. Just okay, this is this person's. A, the reality is you're dealing with human beings, okay? And human beings react to each other in different ways. And as you said, board members tend to come in with a preconceived notion of staff. Now, as you mentioned that, the interesting thing is that with you, you now have three board members who are all staffers on Capitol Hill. Chairman Harper working for uh, Congressman Kanjorski out of Pennsylvania, Kyle Hoffman working for Senator from Oklahoma, and Tanya now coming from the Senate Banking Committee staff, their view of staff is most likely going to be different than if he brought in, say, former credit union CEO or right. someone who's worked. I worked at the finance board with uh, Chairman Ronnie Rosenfeld. Ronnie was a businessman, made his money in apartments. And so he had a much different view of staff coming from the private sector. Than, than others coming from the public sector. The point is very well taken in that you have to figure out where they view staff. Do they trust them? Do they, is there a bit of a mistrust? Is there a caution? Is there an over-reliance on them? There's all kinds of different- Yeah, under-reliance, over-reliance. What, we all are the journey we've taken to any point in time. And so that, that paints how we look at things. That's, a, that's an excellent thought. On something, as you're saying that, you, let's say you had a, you had an intent to nominate a retired CEO who's a Democrat, who's coming in, who's gone through 10 or 15 exams and had to deal with consumer compliance types issues, as opposed to someone who Sherrod Brown comes out and says is a champion of consumers. Mm -hmm. While we know Todd Harper is a champion of consumer compliance, and while we know that there's probably some rumblings of some things based on some things Todd has said at NAFQ relative to a large credit union consumer compliance program. Is someone coming in who's dealt with consumer compliance as being regulated is going to look at something different than someone who's Absolutely. put rules in as a regulator. Absolutely. And that kind of goes to something I think we may have talked about when we were out with John last time is it's helpful. If you have people within the agency, and, and it's not just this agency, it's any agency who have also had to been on the other side of the desk. I remember I was on the board and I think I would ask you, or I'm going to ask Fenner or Mike, and I'd say, you know, how many, I'd say, how many former credit union people do we have working? I think it came back once, it was like two. And, and the thing is that was somewhat disappointing because again, you don't know what the other person is. It'd be great if you could be on the regulator side and the regulated side. It evens out your thought process. You start it to does. see more as to what the other person goes through. It's like those experiments they do in, soci in sociology courses in, in high schools where they make the boy walk around with the flower to see what it must be like to be a woman going to deliver a baby. Right. And, so, and unfortunately, as I said, we don't do that. But again, she's obviously qualified. I don't see any reason why this nomination doesn't go through. It's really a matter of when. So you said it's, it could be done by October. If you had to say, you think there's a, what are the, what's the probability that it takes longer than the end of the year in your mind? That it takes longer than the end of the year. I'd say that probability is low. 
Okay. Again, it's a timing thing. And, and frankly, what we haven't discussed yet is her name for me came out of the blue. There's a handful of us who tend to track this and try to follow it. And I will caution everybody by telling them the same thing I say all the time. The people that know the most talk the least. The people that know the least talk the most. I always like to tell a story about when Chairman Dollar was about to get nominated. Hey, actually, my wife and I lived in a townhouse community with the chief of staff for Senator Trent Lott. And obviously, as you mentioned, this one's going to go through Lott's office. And one day at the pool, I said to him, he knew I was a credit guy. I said, hey, John, I hear you might nominate Tom Hughes, who was the CEO of Navy Federal at the time, respected CEO. And he just looked at me, he goes, Jeff, he goes, I can't tell you who it is, but I can tell you it's a credit union CEO from Gulfport, Miss Gulfport, Mississippi, who's a friend of the senators. Right. No, he didn't tell me the name. He did give me enough to allow me to go back right. to the credit union directory and kind of figure out who might be this guy. But the reality is everybody else out there was saying it was going to be Tom Hughes. It was almost a foregoing conclusion. But so in this case, there were a handful of names that I kept hearing time and time again. What this process shows me, as it always shows me, is just you have to have a you have to have a horse, and I talk about this all the time because usually whenever I give a or I give a speech or whenever I'm talking to a conference or a meeting, the question comes up: You were lucky enough to get these twice, um, and I was. How'd you do it? And I always tell the same story: You need a horse that you can ride, and I joke that you either have to know the president or you have to have someone who knows the president. And when I say knows the president, they have to be on a first name basis as I was fortunate enough to have some. But short of that, it's really hard to break through the process. And so you have a lot of people out there. What I was hearing was you had a handful of names, people, again, very qualified, competent, but just couldn't get it over the hump. Just didn't have enough. Now, when a name comes out like this, where it's from, the banking committee, you start to think this one could have been it all along and, and everybody else could have been just playing for second place. Yeah. I got a sense. Chairman Harper was probably working with the banking committee to, to find someone that would work well for Sherrod Brown and mm-hmm. work well for Chairman Harper. And, and I think that's probably what's how this is going to play out is that it's going to be something that that it, it adds a good element to the board, adds someone that's good for where the banking committee is at and adds someone that uh, will help Todd put his vision on NCUA with a strong Democratic vote along his side. You mentioned uh, something made me think of Damian Lillard. He was supposed to end up with the Miami Heat, right? Uh, that right. was the word on the street. And yeah. lo and behold, yesterday he became a Milwaukee Buck. Pat Riley couldn't work his magic this time. The, the lack of state taxes in, in, in Florida didn't convince the Portland Trailblazers to trade him down to Miami for, for a bag of beans and some draft choices. You think something's going to happen, and then it doesn't, and a name comes out of nowhere. And it's a good name, both in the Milwaukee Bucks and with this board member, but uh, things can change real quick. You just complete time. You just compared Tanya Suda to Damian Lillard. I like that. Yeah. She's a seven-time All-Star. We'll be okay. But, but going back to your point, she could get the three. Your, your other point, and, and again, it's an excellent one, is, is that the agency has now, over the last handful, 20 plus years, become more, I'd say, politically inclined. Choose that word carefully. In the old days, I don't know if you could tell who 
which party was just really a matter of fact, Ed Callahan made PA Mac. Ed County was a Republican, made PA Mac a Democrat, the first vice chairman of the agency. And we don't have enough podcasts around. We could go through the process of why it doesn't really even exist, but that's a different story. But he made PA the first vice chair of the agency. And you'd say, why wouldn't he take his fellow Democrat, fellow Republican? He was someone that I don't think he saw necessarily saw eye to eye with. If, for example, when I was on the board, you had two Democrats, myself and Yolanda Weege, and you had Chairman Dollar. And so it, it becomes an interesting dynamic. And, and yes, I think what's happened is over the last handful of years, I guess I'd say starting with Dennis Dollar is the chairman have become much more politically inclined. You then had Debbie Matz, who obviously had political connections. You now have, have Todd Harper, who's flexed his political muscle a couple of times. But in the end, it's really what you have to do now. You mentioned earlier about the, the, the CFPB or the Consumer Protection Division or whatever. That's something that Chairman Harper has asked for in the budget, I think, the past two years. And he's been voted down by the two Republicans. I don't see any reason why that's not going to be in the next budget. You know? Correct. Yeah, I actually did a, a short podcast. I listened to the NSA board meeting with a close ear and Rodney Hood after the FinTech rule got approved on which was his initiative and both board members cited that Rodney Hood, uh, board member Hood said, there's some of your initiatives, Chairman Harper, that I'd like to help you get into the budget in 2024. And then, oh, by the way, the board, the intent to nominate comes out like two hours later. But I, I think it's a fait accompli. Hood knows that He's going to have his second vote. My guess is he's made some arrangements, some quid pro quos on some things that will come out in the budget with, that he was comfortable doing in order to get the FinTech rule ac across the line. But that's going to be an expanded presence in consumer compliance in one way or another. And I expect that to really be a full court press from the Harper administration uh, for the next four years. I think you can, I think you look at, at that. I think you can probably look at some more climate. Yes. Climate issues. And, and, and Excellent point. Pretty unions. And again, if you get the, the second vote, you and I joke all the time. I was told once you got to learn how to count to two. And it's basically, it's simple math. And then see where you get to two and you can get done what you're looking to get done. And so now Chairman Harper can get to two a lot faster than it could before. And in that regard, I, the whole time that Kyle Hauptman's been there, currently vice chair, he's going to lose the vice chair probably pretty quick. Although, how would they do the vote? Because she'll have to recuse herself and... Kyle would have to vote for it. So politically, he'll probably vote for it because he realized it should be a D. But they've, the, the R's have had a little bit of influence and a little bit of sway right now. And he's going to go from having that to Harper not needing his vote, right? So it's going to be nibbling around the edges of anything that he might want to get. It'll be interesting to watch how he transitions on his board statements and things like that. So it is because now all of a sudden you go from at least being able to to be kingmaker, so to speak, to, to have a real say to now not being needed. I was going to say not relevant, not needed, but yeah. It, well, I, I mean, think it's going to be a blunt. And, and I will say can, this. You know, you can, they can still have an influence, but they don't need your vote. And I will say this. Vice Chairman Ottman has done an excellent job picking up on issues and doing that. And he's been at the forefront of a handful of things, including the Noble Charters and things like the report in the Critians. But... Yes. You just can't fight reality. Okay. And the reality is if I've got another vote, yeah, I'm probably still going to 
come and talk to you. And I still wanted, ideally you'd three nothing votes rather than two one votes. But in the end, if the goal is frankly to get done what you'd like to get done and you only need two to get there, that's what happens. As well at eyes, if you can get the second vote, it's going to be a consistent second vote. And you know that you're singing from the same hymnal. They don't even walk in your door mm -hmm. until they already know they got two votes. So you, the leverage that the odd party out has is really how much noise can they make as it relates to what the community of credit unions might want. And that's where you, that's where you now, does Hopman become the loyal opposition? Right, exactly. Yeah. And then go from being able to dictate to now being able to have to bring things to the forefront. And I will tell you that that's been handled a handful of different ways in the past by different Oh, yeah. Ways. Yeah, you laugh and we both know. Sometimes you do it, sometimes you do it very diplomatically and sometimes you do it like a bomb thrower. You know? Sometimes you leave scar tissue on the former executive directors while doing all that. Yes, you do. And again, that's why I've always said you guys, especially at the senior staff level, you and the general counsel's office, I always had empathy for you because you had to deal with sometimes three fairly sizable egos as to what they wanted. And, and when you're not getting what you want, you really start to get your back up. And yeah, it, it, it will be interesting to see because as I said, we, we've both seen in the past where that third board member raises issues, but again, raises issues diplomatically, raises issues as the conscience of the movement, I would say. And we've also seen ones where they go in and there's a scorched earth policy where the board meetings become the best show on TV. Right there at the table, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, it, 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 yeah, I could, all of the, I've seen all of those. I've seen all of them work and I've seen all of them not work. Mm -hmm. Those are all different strategies for sure. Jeff, any other things relative to the, the position we should chat about here today? Uh, they've got the intent to nominate, could be as soon as October, probably no later than the end of the year. Any other thoughts before we wrap up on the, this nomination? No, I did. I did bring up the Tupperbell thing earlier. That's obviously thus far with military and it's because of an abortion issue that the Senator feels the Department of Defense isn't handling the way he'd like. But again, it is important to note that any one Senator can muck up the process. Now, because of what Senator Harry Reid did a handful of years ago, it now only takes a simple 51-49 vote or 51-50 if you need the vice president to get any nominations through. We've seen it happen recently almost with Supreme Court justices. So you know that NCUA spots are, are not immune to it too. But it'll be interesting. Is there, you know, again, this is a swing seat. Okay, so you, you know, right now when Rodney Hood rolls off, you have one Republican, one Democrat. Again, it doesn't take a math scientist to say, okay, whatever the next seat is, that's where the majority lies. You know, do the Republicans look at this and say, is it worth, is it worth mucking it up for what would turn out to be close to a year, close to a year to try and give it, is it worth that for them? And again, I don't think NCUA necessarily is, I think sometimes the principle of it is. I don't think Republicans really have any like to stand on here. Democrats are in control of the House, are in control of the, the White House and the Senate. And then you also have to remember what happened with Vice Chairman Hoffman is he was basically seated after the election when well, President Trump had already lost. And so you also have that possibility. I, I do not see this thing lasting a year. I just, it's just, 
impossible for me to come up with a scenario, but it was also impossible for me to come up with a lot of scenarios we've seen happening in this country over the last four years. Sometimes the conspiracy doomsday sayers come out in you and you go, what if? So I think, as I said, I think this thing will done quickly. I think, as I said, she's just, she's eminently qualified. And then after that, the way the board chooses to, to act, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. That's right. Now, Jeff, uh, appreciate your time. Now we, you and, and John McKechnie and I had a podcast when the announcement of NAPQ and CUNA proposing merger into America's credit unions about a month, six weeks ago, we're going to have one later in the year. We talked about doing it, but, uh, anything on that front on America's credit unions that since we last chatted, anything to update the audience on uh, what you've heard on the street. Yeah, my firm manages the Metropolitan Area Credit Union Management Association. We had our annual conference last week, and Anthony Demagon from NAFQ, who was one of the two kind of key principals uh, that is, is managing this process for the two groups, uh, came out, was nice enough to do a, a video presentation for us and mentioned that deadline is November. Deadline for votes is November 1st. Now, he claims, I think, that, that they'll have it by November 2nd. They'll have the results ready. So as I joked to you before, being a good Chicagoan, being a good Illinoisan, if you're going to vote early, vote often. But I think they are pushing right now for credit unions to make sure they get their votes in. I keep hearing rumblings about people that don't like certain things, but the reality is I, I can't see where a majority of credit unions don't say, look, let's, let's try this. Again, as you and John and I talked about during that podcast, this stuff has been discussed since the 70s. Right. So when we see it go through, it will be interesting. But that's what I heard is that the deadline, November 1st, votes are coming in and they would have news on the 2nd. It'll be interesting. They, I think they've discussed and handled the dues issue for now. Like in a way, they may be kicking it down the road a little bit. The, to me, the, the educational and the conference side, I'm not sure if we got an answer on whether there would be a congressional caucus next year. Practicality standpoint, as a guy who runs associations, you sign these contracts, sometimes two, three years in advance, sure. and each of them carry with now a penalty. And the penalty increases as you get closer to the date, because from the hotel standpoint, we're holding rooms and things like that. But I'll be honest with you, we've signed a three-year deal with one of our clients, and the day we signed it, that date in 2026 still has some guarantees attached to it. So if we cancel... We're still paying. Now, maybe they've got such a big budget that they just cut the check and they move on, but there's going to be some, going to be some penalties if they don't do it. Unless of course they can sit down with the hotel and say, look, we merged. Can we do this? We'll bring you this conference and that. Yeah. Course. Maybe you can. Yeah. There, the NCUA did that during COVID with COVID was a different world, but with COVID and launching a merit and then uh, region, the regional conference, I think they just had where everybody was down in Louisiana together was something that had been deferred for good reason. So well, I'm sure there'll be a, a little price attached to maybe deferring it, but that'll be interesting to see how that plates out as well. That, that's basically about all I've heard right now. Wait, see what happens. And then maybe the three of us get back together and. Yeah, that sounds good. Gust. That's got, that sounds good, Jeff. I appreciate you being available on short notice. I'm going to go listen to some of the best of little feet here. After I process the sound. Listen to Waiting but, for Columbus, the live album. I love that album. Okay. And actually, while we were talking, I think I do also have to say one of my favorite concerts, what I just went to was when I saw The Cure. You oh, know. wow. Yeah. I missed Those, them. I, I, they're on my bucket list. And you go listen to Genesis, Domino, and Last Domino. I will. All right.
and home, by, and home by the sea. And home by the sea. All right. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Everybody, appreciate you listening. This is Mark Trichels signing off with Flying Colors.
Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktreichel.com. 